You're listening to a North Valley Church podcast. Thanks so much for joining. For more information and resources, you can visit us online at northvalley.org. All right. Well, good morning. Good to be with you guys. My name is Ryan. For those of you that are new, uh, we are in a series called Following Jesus Off the Grid. And uh, we've been teaching through the Gospel of John since uh, August or so. We're in chapter 6, so we're making incredible time. I'm excited about that. Today what we're doing is uh, we're going to be closing off this series. Easter starts up uh, coming up this Sunday, and so we're excited about all that God's going to be doing. Uh, The church uh, will kind of, you'll see it, a lot of folks are going to be coming. I assume you guys are probably inviting families and friends um, I'm out in the uh, city all the time inviting folks. It's a great opportunity. We're going to be outside, so we have plenty of room. So I would say bring your outdoor attire if you'd like. If you'd like a little, ladies, this is the perfect time to accessorize with a nice little hat. So we can go old school and do that. That'd be fine. Uh, we're going to have a great time next week. Um, but you'll see there'll be a bigger crowd, obviously, and that's just part of it. Um, that's exciting to see. And uh, some people love crowds, some people don't like crowds. How many of you like big crowds? Just raise your hand. Not very many of you. You probably don't invite people to church. <laughs> um, you know, I, I get it. I don't like a whole lot of crowds either a lot of times. So, I mean, I do. I get energy from being with you all on Sunday. And then, um, but I like the backcountry. I love to get away. So Black Friday, everybody goes to the city centers to go shop and stand in lines forever not me. I'm on the mountaintop looking at everybody, uh, seeing what everything is going on and enjoying the outdoors. Um, There's a lot of um, things about crowds that I'm going to teach you about today. Uh, We're looking in in the Gospel of John chapter 6, verses 22 through 40. And uh, before I get there, I want to give an introduction on crowds in Jesus and crowds. And so uh, we live in a kind of a crowd culture, a mob mentality, uh, where uh, you have crowds that are all over the gamut, and every one of us are in the crowd, if you will. Um, I think about Palm Sunday. This is historically, when, uh, within church history, we celebrate when Jesus Christ fulfilled a prophecy that was given 400 years before the event took place. Jesus rides on a donkey into Jerusalem, fulfilling a prophecy from the prophet Zechariah predicted 400 years before it ever happened. Uh, The gospel writer in Matthew records it, and when Jesus shows up in Jerusalem, there is a, help me out, crowd. Let's try that again. When Jesus shows up in Jerusalem, there is a a huge crowd. And so what I want to show you today is that crowds are a part of the ministry and the lifestyle of Jesus But the message today is, listen to me, is do not get lost in the crowd. Let's say that together. Do not get lost in the crowd. Um, I was, I literally, uh, I think it was the uh, opening game down at uh, Chase Fields. One of my great friends invited me to go, had some incredible seats. We're standing there, all the fanfare, everything's going on right outside of the Chase Fields. And I'm standing there and I'm getting a picture with the Clydesdale horses, not because I like Budweiser that much, but I'm standing there, and it looks great. The horses do. And I'm standing there getting a photo, and I look over. My friend's gone. How many of you have ever been lost in a crowd before? Okay. How many of you would be brave enough to admit you parents have lost a child in the crowd before? Right. Terrifying, right? It's like, oh, my goodness, where are they? 
Uh, so I lost my friend in the crowd, and I'm like, where am I? You know, he's got the tickets. I can't get in. Uh, so we're going to learn about crowds today. The message title is Do Not Get Lost in the Crowd. This is why, by the way, when you go to Disneyland, you see those kids, right? They, they look like they're little dogs. They're on leashes. Have you seen that before? I, I don't get that. They should try the e-collar. That would work better. I'm just joking. I knew somebody would get offended by that. However, me and my brothers did that. I was my, I'm an older brother. I said, David, go put this on. What is it? You'll find out. Go run. <laughs> ah! um, anyway, all right. We're, we're doing good this morning. That's good. Okay, so where was I? The crowds. Let's go through the crowds. Five people in the crowds. These are the kinds of people that were there on Palm Sunday. This is the kind of people that were there in the ministry of Jesus that we're going to see in John chapter 6. Five people in the crowd. You are one of these, okay? Uh, this is in every crowd. This is in every sporting event, every uh, large church gathering, uh, every kind of rock concert, any kind of huge crowd gathering. These people exist. They're like little crowds in the big crowds. Here they are. Number one, there are the curious folks. These are people that are just curious about what's happening. They're not there because they're deeply committed. They're just curious. There's a lot of people showing up. Kind of looks cool. On Palm Sunday, there are people literally gathering to welcome Jesus in. Like, here comes the Messiah. But they have no idea who Jesus is. They're just curious because there's a crowd. Okay, then there is the confused Folks that are showing up, uh, they don't really know about uh, what's going on, uh, but they're confused a little bit, and they're there. It's like the guy like me that doesn't know a lot about baseball, but acts like I do just a little bit. I'm confused about how the game works a little bit, but, I'm, but there's confused folks in every crowd. There's confused people at church. They say stuff like, yep, uh, this, is, this is funny. Uh, so if you've got little kids, you can explain it later, but... Uh, every once in a while, folks will show up, and they really don't know a lot about Jesus, and that's totally fine. Love it. And after the uh, message or whatever, after the sermon, we call it in church world, they'll come up to me if they're not a part of a church or don't know Jesus very well. They'll say, that was a hell of a speech. That was a hell of a speech. And I say, thank you very much. I'll just take it, you know? Like, that's cool. That's fine. And generally, they say, you know, I'm into what you said. I'm into the big man upstairs. Well, who's the big man upstairs? There's a lot of folks that are confused about who Jesus is, and this is in every crowd. Um, then there is the, those that are the pretenders in every crowd. I was a pretender in church. I didn't really know exactly who Jesus was. I didn't really know if I really believed in the Bible, but I kind of pretended to, and that gets you in trouble, you know? Because then you pretend for so long, it can really get you in trouble. I love what Abraham Lincoln said. He said, you can fool all the people some of the time, and some of the people all of the time, but you cannot fool all the people all the time. Truth and time always go hand in hand, and some folks will show up, and some of you are here today because you're just kind of pretending to, to just kind of go along, like... We're taking communion. You're like, yeah, it looks good. You know, I'll take that. Do I need multiple ones? No. Uh, and that's okay. But you're going to see in every crowd there are pretenders. That's just life. Okay? And then there are the opposers. And uh, on Palm Sunday when Jesus was riding in, there are the opposers. These are the, in, in uh, the church history tradition or in the first century with Jesus, perhaps more clearly, 
would be, it'd be the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They deeply opposed Jesus Christ. In every crowd, there are actually opposers, right? Especially if you go to a baseball game, you know, or a football game. Especially if you hang out with the L.A. Raiders. How about them, huh? Or football. It's like, man, they don't have any censors at all. Those, those people are trained to be belligerent. So some of you are L.A. Raider fans and you're offended, but hey. <laughs> there we go. I'm telling you, it's like L.A. just trains them to be rude. I don't know what it is. Uh, there you go. There you go. So we're gonna do a uh, we're gonna do a fight outside right out here. <laughs> so I know Gavin. We're good. Uh, all right, Gavin. That's enough. <laughs> all right. So there's the opposers, and then here's the last one. It's the committed. This is the committed. These are this is the smallest crowd of the crowds. And so what you need to figure out in Christianity is where do you fit? And I want to tell you, we welcome the curious. We welcome the confused. We welcome the pretenders. We welcome the opposers. But we always challenge people to take your next step. And so with Jesus Christ, what you're going to see as we move through the Gospel of John, and we're going to wrap it up uh, this morning, and then we're going to pick it back up after Easter. We're doing a series um, I'll tell you more about uh, later, but we're going to see Jesus is deeply controversial. He is dealing with a cancel culture, dealing with high censorship. People are dropping out. Uh, there is a smaller crowd that is beginning to form. So John chapter 6, verse 22 through 40, here we go. Verse 22, it says that on the next day, help me out, the what? The crowd that remained on the other side of the sea that had been there, only one boat there. Hang on, time out. Because you guys are like new, and some of you are like, what, what's going on with the boat? Okay, Jesus just fed the 5,000 men, women and children, all included 15, 20,000. He had just done a massive miracle, one of the big signs. He does that. Then he tells his disciples, get in a boat, go across the sea. All of a sudden, storm comes. The disciples are like, ah! And then Peter's like, Jesus, is that you? If it's you, call me out. And Jesus says, come on out. And Peter walks, and then he gets afraid. Ah! And then he starts to sink. Jesus reaches out his hand. Peter stands up. Booyah to his disciple buddies. Like, I'm walking on water. You know, so this all happens. And the crowd, the 15, 20,000 people, they know there was a storm because they felt it. They were in it too. They were on land. And then they know they got fed. I mean, there was a massive uh, all-you-can-eat buffet. Jesus performed the big miracle. Shoney's and Denny's got nothing on Jesus. He feeds everybody all you can eat. And then, all of a sudden, he's gone. And so now they're looking for him, okay? So, sorry I didn't give you that introduction earlier, but we'll get it right in the second service. So, verse 22, here we go. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea that was there had only been one boat there. And that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples. Why is that? That's because he, he hung back and he was praying on the mountainside. Jesus decides to walk on water and meet his disciples. But then it says, but that his disciples had gone away alone. So there's some commentary here. It shows us that Jesus had hung back. Verse 23 says, all boats from Tiberias came near the place uh, where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks so they were all there. This is the location where Jesus performed the miracle, multiplied the breads and the loaves, or the bread and the fish. Verse 24, 
says, so when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. I don't know how many people actually get into the boats. If it was 15 to 20,000, that'd be like a flotilla going across uh, to search for Jesus. Some commentators say there was a massive storm, blew a bunch of boats up on shore. All these crowds go in and go across searching for Jesus. Why are they searching for Jesus? Great question. Lots of motives to be questioned. So we're going to see. Then this um, says this, uh, verse 25, we'll jump into that. It says, uh, when they found him on the other side, they said to him, watch this, Rabbi, when did you come here? In other words, like, how, how, uh, did you show up yesterday or today? Or maybe the better question would be is, how did you get here? Uh, they, pro- they, they probably did not see Jesus walking across the water because the Bible tells us it was late at night and it was a storm, so they probably wouldn't have seen that. They're confused and they're searching. So continuing on, verse 26, Jesus answered them, and he never answers them directly. Watch this. He says, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, or amen, amen, I say to you, uh, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, which is interesting, uh, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. In other words, these folks literally just wanted to follow Jesus because they were getting fed. Like, it is a free meal. And so Jesus exposes their motives, and they're probably like sitting there like, did somebody tell them that? Who, who said that? You know, because they, their question was, Rabbi, when did you come here? Uh, and Jesus is kind of exposing to them that he's not being sought after because he's some great teacher. He's being sought after because he's a miracle worker and can uh, feed them. So here we go. Verse 27, Jesus responds and says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. So now Jesus is using a teaching moment uh, to really get his point across that he's the one who gives eternal life. And he's going to point to the Old Testament by using this phrase, which the Son of Man will give to you. That was one of Jesus' favorite titles uh, referenced in uh, Daniel uh, to refer to the, uh, the, the, the Lord's work in fulfilling the Scriptures as the Messiah. It says, For on him the God, uh, God the Father has set his seal. What that means is Jesus is saying that he's genuine, he's authentic, he's been verified. Uh, God the Father, which whom they uh, historically would look to, it's just a question of Jesus Christ is truly the Messiah is their big question. So Jesus is uh, pointing back to the Father for his authenticity. Verse 28, and then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Very common question you know, what do we need to be doing uh, to get this straight in our lives? What do we need to do? Jesus, in verse 29, Jesus answered him, them, uh, this is the work of God, that you help me out, believe in him who sent, who, who, whom, uh, let me get that straight. And why don't somebody else read this? No. Uh, verse 20, 20, 29, uh, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in whom he has sent. Uh, so the, the real challenge is, is just, do you believe? And that's what Jesus is after. Would you believe in me, um, whom God has sent? Verse 30, so they said to him, then what sign 
uh, do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? I find this really interesting. So now I would label them immediately into the confused crowd. Like, are you confused? Like, because so far, Jesus has turned water into wine. That was his first sign. The Apostle John records seven signs in the Gospel of John. We've already covered a number of them. Um, The crowds have already seen so many. He turned water to wine at a wedding. He healed an official son. He healed a man that was uh, um, uh, unable to walk, an invalid for 38 years. Uh, Then he fed the 5,000, and then he walked on water. And you want another sign? Like, what's wrong with you? Are you deeply confused? Are you pretenders? Uh, What is going on? Uh, And notice they kick back, and now they're going to say, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. They're quoting Bible. Good for them. You know, they're quoting some Bible, but it's just like everybody else that shows up at church every once in a while, quotes a little Bible, but deeply confused about the truth of who Jesus Christ is, what the Christian life is all about. Uh, And they're rightfully so looking for Jesus to authenticate a miracle because that was the sign of a true prophet. He had to do some kind of miracle. Um, They looked to Moses as a verifiable, genuine prophet of God. Uh, But Jesus has already done all this. And so now they're not just looking for signs, they're looking for pleasure. And so continuing on, we'll see. Um, verse 32, Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses, Jesus is correcting here, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. He's putting the credit back to where credit is due. God's the giver of all things. It wasn't Moses you need to glorify. It's Moses you should give gratitude for and be thankful for, but it's God's glory that needs to be pointed out here. And this is so the way of crowds, right? Crowds typically try to elevate and look to a man rather than God. And this is what the crowd is doing. And so we'll see that uh, more so. They look to Moses. They didn't look to God. They're trying to look to Jesus. They're not looking uh, to Jesus as God. So continuing on in verse uh, uh, 32, Jesus said to them, I'll read it again. Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. Verse 33, he clarifies, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they're like, okay. Uh, They said to him, sir, well, give us this bread always. Uh, Sounds a lot like the woman at the well who was thirsty and wanted something to drink. And Jesus says, I'm the living water. And she's like, well, then give me this water so I don't have to come here a lot. Uh, they're, They're looking for what I would say is pleasure. And there's a danger in crowds, and here's the danger. Number one, the danger of crowds is pleasure. Uh, Folks that just pursue pleasure. Many people go to church, many people gather in crowds because it's something that makes their life a little bit better. And there's, there's all sorts of unique experiences in a crowd. It's fun, you feel like you're part of it, it's fun. And that's not always a bad thing, but these folks are mobilized mob mentality because they can get something. Church and Christianity is not something that you get something out of. It's something that you allow God to work in you and then through you. Sometimes we come into the, the, the faith mentality of I want this 
uh, just for me, but it's really about him. And then we're being uh, experienced, we're experiencing God's grace and it allow it to channel through us. These are pleasure seekers. And Jesus has exposed that. They just want food. I think in um, our culture, we're deeply addicted to pleasure. We're deeply uh, uh, addicted to entertainment. And I think about this throughout church history. I thought about how dangerous this is in crowd mentality. Um, When we focus on pleasure so much, pleasure is like an idol, a god. And and crowd, this crowd is idolizing pleasure. Um, So... Let me just do a little church history with you, but during the time of Rome with the uh, gladiator games in the Roman Colosseum, how many of you recall that in, in history or you've seen it in the movies? Raise your hand. So, okay. So one of the things I don't know if you know about, um, Rodney Stark has a great book called um, uh, The Triumph of Christianity, and he talks about how Christianity grew to this powerful religion and became the most powerful religion of all the world, starting with Jesus, you know? Um, but he talks about uh, one of the things he notated about crowds in Rome was that the Roman government, listen to this, the Roman government to control the masses, the crowds, would open the Colosseums for everybody, free of charge, the poor, the rich, everybody. Then they would feed them as much as they wanted. Then they would give them as much wine and alcohol as they wanted. Then they would... Uh, uh, numb and entertain their minds with violence and war. And they were making things that are evil right and controlling the masses. And they did it because there was a base desire of pleasure. And what I'm saying is there's a danger in crowds that you can get lost in uh, the bigger the crowd, the more dangerous it can become. And I am not an anti-church growth guy. I love, I got saved in a mega church. I think they're wonderful. But I'm just telling you, in any and every crowd, there are pleasure seekers, and they can be so easily seduced and controlled. And I think in American culture right now, we play to this all the time. Our media, our social media, everything that we do in the entertainment industry it can be uh, addictive, and then our teens are so, uh, what I would say is literally uh, shaped by the culture and the entertainment, the pleasure, all of that, that it becomes a massive, uh, dangerous crowd that people are into. So that's the first danger. Uh, These folks that Jesus is dealing with, I think they are absolutely addicted to pleasure. All they want is food. And then secondly, there's a danger in crowds in power. Um, if you look back in Matthew cha- or in John chapter six, verse two, at the very beginning of that uh, passage, it talks about Jesus. Uh, they pursue Jesus after he did this miracle, and they rush after him to try to make him a king, because they know this is a powerful figure, and we we want him to be our king. If he can perform a miracle, he could do something else for us. And there's power in a crowd, and crowds have power. This is why at Political rallies, there's always talks about the crowds. And so uh, the crowds are always a part of that. Um, And then last is just privilege. A lot of folks just go where the crowd is, and because there's privileges there, they can get perhaps more done. They have a louder voice. They have others to join their cause. This is the danger of crowds. 
But what does Jesus offer the crowd? Number one, we're going to see that Jesus actually offers the crowd, this is you and me and every person on the planet, and every person in every crowd all, for all times, he offers actually satisfaction. But he offers satisfaction at the deepest core level of one's being. This is what Jesus was doing when he addressed the crowd. He said, you're hungry? <laughs> you want some bread? Basically, and then he says, I'm the bread of life. Uh, what you need to know is that Jesus Christ offers all people in all places and at all times the deepest level of satisfaction that anyone could have. Uh, St. Augustine, he was a, a fourth century uh, bishop out of North Africa, a great theologian whom, whom Catholics and uh, Protestant Christians really uh, admire in so many ways. Uh, he said this, the heart is restless till it finds rest in thee. In other words, what Augustine was saying is that your whole life is spinning out of control inside of you. Maybe it doesn't look like it on the outside, but your whole life is kind of like not at peace until it finds peace in the peacemaker, and that is Jesus. There's a restlessness of the heart. There's a restlessness of the soul. I can remember uh, in my own life, I didn't come to peace in a sense with my life until I trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord. And many of you can attest to that experience yourself. Uh, but Jesus Christ offers satisfaction. Look at verse 35. Jesus said to them, here we go, we're cruising on in John chapter 6. Jesus said to them, I am, help me out, the what? bread of life. And then he, look how extensive this is. Whoever, that means, that means anyone. That means the pretenders, whoever. That means the opposers, whoever. That means the curious, whoever. He says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is repeating himself in a sense because he'd already said that to the woman at the well. And what I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, is that Jesus Christ is the greatest satisfaction that you could ever have in life. We know the phrase, Snickers truly satisfies. Well, Jesus Christ eternally satisfies. Um, Jesus offers the crowd satisfaction. Continuing on in verse 36, he says, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Uh, it's very interesting. We typically think about uh, the idea that you always need to see to believe. And that's true for so many people. But in Christianity, sometimes you just need to believe to see. How many of you, when you, when you started placing your faith in Jesus Christ and you start saying, God, I'm, I'm trusting in you. I'm looking for for how you're going to work in my life, all of a sudden when you believe, now you start to see things in a whole new way. We say see to believe, but Jesus is trying to teach them to believe to see. Jesus also offers the crowd, the second thing I want to show you this morning is he offers security. He offers a sense of security that they can be at peace, that they can rest, they can slow it down, that they can have assurance in their life that it's going to be okay. Uh, he says this in verse 37. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And here he says, and let's say this again together, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. You, you, you can be at peace knowing that if you come to Jesus, you place your faith in him, no matter what you've done, no matter what's happened in your past, no matter where you're at right now, Jesus will never cast you out. 
He will never say, get away. If you come to him, he will receive you. He will, he will never turn you away. Um, it's what he says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Notice that word, the Father gives me. Very interesting, very curious. Uh, we'll come back to that in a moment, but in your mind, note sovereignty. And then when you come back and you look down at that following part of that verse, and whoever comes to me, note responsibility. So I'm going to build theological categories in your mind if you're tracking with me. So let's continue on in verse 38. It says, For I have come down, and Jesus says that a lot, I have come down from heaven, uh, and not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Verse 39, he says, And this is the will of him who sent me. Here it is, that I should lose nothing. And that all of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. What is Jesus doing? He's reassuring that there's a sense of security. He's reassuring that all that the Father gives me, I will never cast out, and I will lose nothing. You can never lose Jesus. No matter how far you run, Jesus is right there with you. No matter where you go, Jesus is right there with you. When he says that the Father has given me, again, I think this is stressing the sovereignty of God, that the whole Trinity is at work in your life. That the Father God, the Bible says, is that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. Before the foundations of the earth were formed, God had you in mind. And that when you come to him, you're not just coming on your own will, you're coming at the will and the permission of the Heavenly Father. And you're coming and you're praying, and you're receiving Jesus Christ, you're saying with your mouth, like the Bible says, all who uh, confess with their mouth, believe in their heart, will be saved. But Jesus is saying there's more going on. The Father's at work too. And so we see in here a great uh, balance between the sovereignty of God, God planning, God preparing, God uh, electing or predestining is the word, and yet you see human responsibility a man deciding to come, a man moving forward and trusting and following Jesus Christ. And what the Lord says is, I'm not going to lose anybody. I'll never cast you away. And so, continuing on, the last thing that Jesus offers the crowd that we see in the text is salvation. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. No one gets to the Father but through Jesus Christ. And so here's what it says. Look what it says in verse 40, he says, for this is the will of my Father that everyone, look at that, inclusiveness, look at that, all people, everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Here's the essence of the gospel message. I want to read to you Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Let's read this uh, out loud, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So what does that say? It means that we are saved by grace through faith. Salvation is not something that you earn. Salvation is not something that you achieve. Uh, God does not save you because you 
are going to do something great in your life. God does not save you because you did do something great in your life. God saves you simply because of God's grace. And it's placing your faith in Jesus Christ. What is grace? Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. Jesus Christ died on a cross for the forgiveness of sin, and that's what we're looking forward to on Good Friday. We remember that and acknowledge that, that Jesus Christ, God, God gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Salvation is by grace. It's totally different than the way the rest of the religious uh, world works. You have to earn your way into salvation. The message of Christianity is simply believe. Jesus Christ has done all the work. But what you need to know, ladies and gentlemen, is that you were created, verse 10, for we are his, help me out, workmanship. And you're a masterpiece. You're the top of creation. You got a plan. You got a purpose. It says you were his workmanship. You were created in Christ Jesus for, help me out, good works. Really good works. That's the church. This is the committed group of people that say, I'm following Jesus. I want to dedicate my life to knowing, loving, serving Jesus, and I want to give good works. We don't work, uh, we don't uh, do good work to earn our salvation. Not at all. Not as Christians. We don't do good works to earn our salvation. However, because of our salvation, we do good works. You follow me? Um, okay, so here's what I want to challenge you in closing very quickly. Don't get lost in the crowd. Number one, I want to challenge you to commit to Jesus Christ and his church. Don't get lost in the crowd. Some of you need to be a member of this church. You've not made that commitment. I don't know why you haven't made that commitment. You should make that commitment. If this is the place that you say, I love Jesus Christ and I love this church. Make that commitment. Commit to Jesus Christ and his church. I'm a church guy. I love the church. I love Jesus far more. And Jesus loves his church. You and I don't have to die for the church because Jesus died for the church. Amen? So Jesus loves the church. We should love the church. The church is his vessel. The ve his, his bride is the way he describes it. So commit to Jesus Christ in his church. Some of you need to go public with baptism. Commit to Jesus on Easter Sunday. Get baptized. Say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And we will celebrate that after our first and second service. You can do that. I want to encourage you to sign up to do that. Number two, I want to challenge you, prioritize spiritual health over or greater than physical health. We're in a physically fit culture. I get it. I, I uh, make sure I'm deeply, highly active physically all the time. I monitor what I eat and what I drink. However, the Bible tells us that basically physical health is important, but not near as important as spiritual health. And I think the vast majority of Christians during COVID-19 forgot about that. They forgot about that. You're not supposed to care far more about your physical health than your spiritual health. This is what Jesus was saying. He's like, you want something to eat? I got something you need to eat. I don't care if you starve today. I am the bread of life. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Do you see what I'm saying? There is nowhere in Scripture where Christians are challenged to care far more about their physical health 
than their spiritual health. The most important thing in your life is your spiritual health. That is a soul, ladies and gentlemen. Every person on the planet has a soul. That means the soul lives forever. The soul will eternally exist in a two, one of two places, hell or heaven. And we can do something with our soul right now, nourish it, feed it. That's what makes us special. We're his workmanship. So prioritize spiritual health far more than, than physical health. For those of you that don't attend church, attend more. For those of you that have never been baptized, be baptized. For those of you that don't read the Bible, start reading the Bible. For those of you that never served, serve today. Like prioritize a spiritual health in your life. Number three, I challenge you, is to help get everybody connected. Uh, we make it easy for you at North Valley to get connected. We really do. And we do it the Jesus style. Because if you notice Jesus' style, he always feeds people. That's how he does ministry. Everybody knows the mission of Jesus to seek and to save the, help me out, the lost. Okay, but what's his method? His method is feed them. They'll show up. Feed them. Just give them some food. So this is what we do at church. We feed you every Sunday. And we know it's important and it's a part of the ministry. But I want to challenge you, help get others connected. Those of you that have been around a while, a couple things you can help do as the crowd grows and more people grow, sit up front. Uh, say hello to somebody else after service. Uh, go outside and hang out and meet people. Those of you that are new, don't be shy. Say, I'm, I'm new here. I'd love to meet some folks. There's a connection corner. Uh, we've got folks that can help you get connected. So I want to challenge you, help get everybody connected. Uh, don't do life alone. Don't get lost in the crowd. You're not going to love this church and you're not going to love Jesus as much as if you stay disconnected. St. Augustine said this as well. He said, you can never have God as your father if the church is never your mother. Very powerful statement. But I think it's a helpful statement for us to understand the principle behind it that the church is deeply important. And in the coming ages, in the coming days, I think the church has a very strong role and you and me, ladies and gentlemen, all those who profess faith in Jesus Christ, we are the church. Okay? So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I pray for the comfort and, Lord, the peace of Christ to rest on every person here. Where there's anxiousness or restlessness, might they place their faith and trust in you as you as Lord, confessing sin, coming forward and saying, I want you to be my salvation, my hope, my satisfaction. You're the bread of life. Father, for all of us, might we connect to you and grow in our faith. And Lord, might we all be challenged as well, not to get lost in the crowd. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Hey, before we leave today, I want to say thank you to those of you that are giving financially. Um, that does make a big difference. You can see that we're expanding our campus and been able to partner and do some great work and provide relief funds uh, to the Ukrainian crisis. We gave $5,000 earlier. We're going to give another $5,000 uh, very soon. And we ask that you just continue to be faithful in your giving. Uh, if you want to give towards that, you, I'd encourage you to wait until next week at Easter. We're going to give a cash offering uh, to the Ukrainian crisis. So you can do that. Um, those of you who give to our general fund, this pays the bills. Make sure we pays our, pay our mortgage, our staff. Uh, thank you for doing that. Those of you who give to our campus development funds, that expands our campus 
and we're doing a lot of work because we're all coming together. And so thank you for doing that. If you're new here, don't feel any obligation to give. We actually have a gift for you back at the Connection Corner. We'd love to send you home with a gift today. So thanks for being a part. If you want to give, there's four ways to give. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support North Valley Church by partnering with us through giving, you can do so by visiting us online at northvalley.org. Thanks and have a great day.